Live from the bridge at the Launchpad Studios in Huntington, New York, it's Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Cardboard Memories, Clearview, Long Island, the law firm of Decalator, Cohen, and DePrisco, the Phoenix Tube Company, Pims Incorporated, fueling brand performance for 30 years, Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, and Soho Table Hockey. Here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who's currently an NFL free agent wide receiver. He played his college football at Texas Tech. He was signed by the Dallas Cowboys as an undrafted free agent in 2008. He's played for the Philadelphia Eagles, St. Louis Rams, New England Patriots, Miami Dolphins, Detroit Lions, and Houston Texans. As a member of the New England Patriots, he had some memorable moments with the legendary Tom Brady as he became the 50th receiver all-time to cut touch uh, to catch a touchdown pass from Tom Brady when he caught a touchdown in the first quarter of a game against the Pittsburgh Steelers on November 3rd, 2013. And on September 27th, 2015 in week three against the Jacksonville Jaguars, he caught Tom Brady's 400th career touchdown pass, making Brady the fourth quarterback in history to reach that mark. He's a two-time Super Bowl champ. It is a pleasure to welcome the man known as playoff Danny, the one and only Danny Amendola to sports talk New York. Welcome Danny. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. It's, We're it's, doing it's great. A it's a pleasure to have you here as well. Pleasure to be on. So let's go back to your high school days at Woodlands High School in, in Texas, where you played football under coach Weldon Willig. You finished up your high school career by leading your team to its first ever Texas State championship game. What are some of the biggest takeaways you took away from your time catching passes from quarterback Jordan Dobson, as well as your time under coach Willig? Well, that was an opportunity for me to really play, start playing in, in games that, uh, you know, really mattered. You know, our, our whole uh, town would come out to our games Friday night, and, and it was definitely that Friday night lights uh, feeling and mystique. And uh, that's really the first time I uh, started taking football fairly serious and, and uh, realized that uh, I had a great opportunity. My father was a high school football coach in the state of Texas and um, got the unique opp- opportunity to play against him. Actually, uh, we lived in the woodlands and then he traveled like five, 10 minutes out of town to uh, one of the nearest high schools that was in our district. And uh, we got to play against him uh, my, for three years on varsity. And um, it was an awesome, awesome experience, unique, unique experience for my family. And, um, you know, f- uh, Texas high school football in general is something that's uh, taken very serious here. And, and it's, you know, these kids are groomed at a very young age to, uh, to play the game. And, um, you know, there's a lot of great c- collegiate and professional uh, football players that come through the state of Texas. And I'm, you know, definitely just blessed to be a part of it. So it's interesting that you mentioned your dad, that he was a high school coach. He was a defensive coordinator at the rival spring Westfield. Uh, he also coached against your older brother, Matt. Uh, what's it like playing with your dad's defenses and what impact did your dad's knowledge of defensives help your growth as a player on the offensive side of the ball? Well, I mean, we had the same offense installed at our high school for 10, 15 years. So he got a great look at it before he got, uh, we got to play each other. And um, there was one vivid memory I have when uh, we're playing at his, it's my junior year, we're playing at his place and, we're going, uh, we're going in, we got like, we're on like the 19 yard line and I can hear his voice and he's on the field, on the numbers, telling the defense what play we're about to run. And, um, I think they beat us that night actually. So it was a rough one for us that night, but, uh, he, 
he's a great coach and it was uh it was awesome to be a part of something so unique and and playing against you it was a quiet week that week at the house but (laughs) afterwards it was uh, all love so (laughs) so amazingly after 120 receptions 17 touchdowns over your last two high school seasons texas tech was really the only d1 school to offer you a firm scholarship how much do you think Wes Welker, a player who is of similar size and possesses a very similar skill set to you, his success at Texas Tech, how much of that paved your way, do you think, for them to have confidence and to offer you the scholarship? Oh, without question. You know, I saw Wes and Cliff Kingsbury play against uh, a really high-ranked University of Texas team on, on, a, on a Saturday when I was a sophomore in high school. And um I saw the offense they were running and, and the type of players they were looking for. Um, and I, I love their coaching staff. Uh, I'll never forget when I came in after a Friday night game, I met my dad in the living room after his game. Uh, and we always talk how the night went. And he mentioned that Texas Tech was going to offer me a scholarship or be interested in recruiting me. And, and that's all I needed to hear. I mean, as, as soon as he said that, I knew I was going to, um, commit to tech uh, as soon as possible. And they offered me a scholarship when I was a junior in high school. I committed when I was a junior in high school. And that's the only offer I really cared about. And it, it ended up working out. And your re- reputation for coming up with big plays would grow at tech as late in the 2005 game against Oklahoma with tech trailing on fourth down, Cody Hodges pass attempt was tipped. You make a leaping catch in traffic, stretch out the gain of first down, keeping the drive alive, which would eventually come a win over the Sooners. Then again, in 2005, you recover a fumble from an intercepted pass during the final drive of a Nebraska game. Looking back at your time at Tech, what do you think is your most memorable moment there? Um, you know, I, I would say, you know, there, we played in a lot of big games. We got to play on a uh, national stage. Um you know, I think the biggest thing I'd take away is the relationships that I made there. Uh, you know, I still talk to my my college teammates to this day. Uh, we were in definitely like a um, a molding uh, uh, time in our lives when we're growing together and trying to figure out who we are and what we want to do. And um, you know, we we stick together and, and th- those relationships that I made in college. Um, you know, I still maintain today. And that's probably the biggest thing I, I can take away. We, we got the opportunity to play in a lot of big games uh, versus some national championship teams, um, you know, with the likes of Vince Young, um, great University of Texas team uh, that you go and that you go and watch and see win a national championship that same same season. So we were playing top low, uh, you know, competition and in the Big 12 uh, was one of the one was one of the powerhouses back in the day. So it was it was great to be a part of. So when you and I were at Keith Hernandez Day, you told me an absolutely amazing story about Roger Staubach and how you ended up a, a Dallas Cowboy. Can you share that story with our audience? Absolutely. So I was coming out of the I was coming out of Texas Tech, getting ready for the combine, and my brother lives in Dallas. I wanted to go hang out with my brother, continue to prepare for the combine, and and see my family at the same time. And my brother said, you know, I have a couple buddies getting uh, ready to play a little pick, pick up flag football game tomorrow. Why don't you come out and, and run routes and get some work in and meet some of my friends and, 
And I said, sure, why not? Had my cleats in my bag anyway. So we went out to the field and I get there and I can see, you know, Troy Aitman's there, uh, Roger Staubach's there, uh, Roger Staubach's son and, and a lot of Roger Staubach's son's friends were there. So my brother and I kind of tagged along, jumped in a game and uh, I ended up being on Roger Staubach's team. Um, and I uh, was running a particular route in the middle of the game you know, trying to get my work in and, and get my running in for the day. And, and I remember I had a post route, Roger Staubach threw it over the top and I went out and made a one-handed catch. Uh, and then I brought the ball back and I, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a pretty good catch. Uh, it, it just kind of stuck to my hand. Honestly, I had some good gloves on that day and, and I was feeling good. We were running good on the SMU grass, but um, I came back to the, uh, came back to the huddle, gave, gave Roger the ball and, and he said, that was a great catch. Uh, and, and come to, come to learn later, he texted, uh, Jerry Jones. Uh, so my brother says through his friends and Jerry, uh, I don't know if he, I, I'm, you know, he replied that they're in constant communication. Uh, I'm not sure to what extent on my behalf, however, uh, it comes time to, uh, you know, the draft ends and concludes, I don't get drafted and I'm sitting there, uh, wondering where I'm going to play football the next year. Uh, I got three offers, one from the Indianapolis Colts, the Miami Dolphins, and then the Dallas Cowboys to, to come uh, play, you know, football for their team in camp and, and have a, a, a roster spot for their, for their camp. I was basically the last guy on the, on the uh, totem pole. However, they, they, uh, they gave me a, a better check than most teams offered. So uh, I took it and ran and I think that without uh Roger uh reaching out to Jerry Jones um you know I don't know that I I have that opportunity um I got the opportunity to see Roger a couple weeks after that when I was a Dallas Cowboy at a Dallas Cowboy function I went up and shook his hand gave him a big hug and thanked him and uh you know to this day it's it's I I feel like that uh opportunity to go play with one of the best quarterbacks that had ever done it and uh you know reach out to uh obviously one of the the best owners in the in the game uh gave me a great opportunity and it's it's crazy how the world works man so you know you just gotta capitalize on on, on every opportunity you get whether it's you know backyard football with roger staubach or the or a super bowl so uh that, that's definitely uh it was a if it if it wasn't how it went down my brother is embellishing the story a little bit but <laughs> it's 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 definitely um a, a nice thought so your attempt to make it on the cowboys was documented on the hbo series hard knocks in fact it was one of the main storylines that year's edition how much of a distraction was it for you trying to make the team and knowing the cameras are following all your moves and chronically all the private coaches discussions about you? Um, it actually wasn't a discussion at all. Uh, I mean, it wasn't a distraction. It, you know, I was so uh, engulfed in trying to learn the playbook. I really didn't have too much time to look around. And, and honestly, NFL films does such, such a great job of kind of hiding the cameras everywhere uh, you know, the, there's a bunch of people on the practice fields regardless and, and a bunch of camera crews on the practice field anyway. So you can't really even tell who's who. So they, they, 
hide the cameras well and and they don't really bug you too much they'll all they'll uh occasionally ask you for an, an interview after practice but usually every player um you know in camp has media obligations every single day so it kind of just blends in with the rest of training camp uh but i i you know did i you watch did you watch the series as, as it did I have, I didn't I didn't watch it as it was airing but I did I definitely have seen it since uh a couple times but um you know two things one NFL uh films does such a great job in in uh in doing hard knocks it was you know definitely I I grew up watching hard knocks it was definitely an honor to be a part of of something like that it unfortunately wasn't uh the best feeling getting cut on hard knocks and on national television but uh, I believe without that, I probably wouldn't be who I am today. So uh, it's it's kind of crazy. I look young as as heck, and I look like a little uh, uh, you know a little puppy out there. But um, I definitely just looking at how I got cut and, and kind of how that transpired. I I would say that I definitely wasn't ready for the NFL when I was twenty two years old. When I was fresh out of out of college, I, I really didn't have any any uh, any experience on the NFL level and didn't understand how the NFL worked until, um, you know, probably late into my first year. So as you mentioned that that whole experience ends with you being cut by the Cowboys on August 30th, you're re-signed to the practice squad after clearing waivers. You spend the entire 2008 regular season on the team's practice squad. You never see a regular season action. After that contract expired with the Cowboys, you signed on to the Philadelphia Eagles practice squad where you pretty much go through the same thing. For those in our audience who may not know much about the, that experience as far as being a practice squad player, what is it like and how hard is it to keep that dream of being an NFL player alive as a member of the practice squad? Well, the practice squad, basically, you know, you work uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then you're off Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So you work three days a week. I mean, it's, you definitely don't feel involved in the, in the play, you know, the, uh, the playbook, you don't feel involved in the team, which is frustrating. Um, but with that said, you're one injury away from getting called up and you have the opportunity to get picked up from anybody else's team that has an injury. So you're constantly watching, you know, the, the injury report, who's going down, what team needs, what kind of player. And, and for me, it was definitely a kind of that red shirt year where I feel like I really needed to hone in on my task and understand how the systems work. And it really wasn't until I got to Philadelphia on my practice, on my second practice squad where, where I can relate the NF, the Philadelphia playbook to the Dallas playbook and understand, okay, they did it this way. We do it that way. And why? And, and it was, it, w- it was really hard for me to kind of grasp the ways of, of how you call plays and what you're looking for as a receiver out on the field until I got my second chance in Philly. So I could, cause I can kind of relate the two. And then, you know, as, as time goes by, as I think I've played for six or seven different types of offenses in the NFL to this date where I can, I can understand and, under, and, and relate everyone to, and, and, you know, try to give the coaches what they're looking for. So uh, it's, it's definitely, uh, there's a lot of different variety in the, in the NFL, but a lot of it's um, the same kind of concepts and route tree structure like that. So it took me a second to get it, but um yeah. 
It's interesting because you obviously must have caught the eye of, of in that point, Eagles quarterback coach Pat Shermer. He leaves the Eagles to the St. Louis Cardinals to become the yes, offensive sir. coordinator. Um, what do you think Pat saw in you that he was able to sell the Cardinals on you and make them want you so much? Um, right. So I went, I went from Philly to uh, St. Louis Rams, and then uh, I – got picked up off the Phillies practice squad because of coach Pat Shermer had made the change in the off season while I was still in Philly. And I guess he liked what he saw in camp. Um, you know, I was a young guy, uh, wasn't going to get, you know, I was on league minimum. So I, and, and I could play special teams, return kicks and punts. I came in to St. Louis, w- uh, with the starting position, of punt returner and kick returner, uh, with really, uh, no intention on playing receiver in my, in my first game there. Um, but really the special teams role uh, and, and he, he understood I could return kicks and return punts and then also contribute, you know, in the slot where uh, we had a couple guys playing already. However, in that first game we were playing the, we were playing the green Bay Packers 2008 or 2009. I'm sorry. And I got, you know, called up returning punts and kicks. And then one of our starting receivers breaks his leg. So now I'm inserted in the offense. They kind of shuffle some people around and I'm in the slot. Thank God I knew the offense from um, Philadelphia where I had just been in training camp and in OTAs. So I knew the offense and I, you could basically just kind of plug me in and I could, you know, I, I'll, I'll know the verbiage and the play calling from there. And it was a seamless transition. October 4th, 2012 game against the Arizona Cardinals. He suffered a dislocated clavicle. It's not just any dislocation. The one that came close to puncturing your trachea and your aorta. You had to be put under anesthesia before the clavicle could be popped in. That's how bad it was. You only missed three weeks. Amazingly. And picked up where you left off. How much did that injury weigh on you as you resume play? And how did you put it out of your mind? Well, that particular injury the NFL had never seen before because I guess it had only really happened in, in car accidents and motorcycle accidents and stuff like that. They have a clavicle dislocation, but usually the dislocation happens in outward position. This one went inward instead. Um, they initially told me I broke my collarbone and then I was, I, I, I kind of, you know, I was frustrated. I didn't see a crack in my collarbone uh, like they did. And then they ran some more tests the next day. Thank God they found it. Uh, they ran, um, you know, some different tests, more, uh, more, you know, MRIs scans, stuff like that. And noticed that it was out of place, knocked me out and then put it back in place. I don't, I think it weighed on me because, you know, they were kind of hesitant to put me in. I remember feeling good after, you know, 10 days or so, and then, you know, I, I inserted myself into practice uh, and against their will pretty much. And I tried to play uh, versus the Patriots that year. Um, and they held me out, unfortunately. But I, I felt like I was ready to play. Just the, just the team in the NFL had never seen that injury before. So it's, they kind of held me out a, a, an extra week. But I felt like I was ready to go um, before that. But... So your playing time with the Rams, you finally get to show what you can do. And on um, March 13th, 2013, just hours after the Patriots slot receiver, Wes Welker, signs with the Broncos, the Patriots announced they signed you to a five-year contract, 28.5 mil, 10 million of that money guaranteed. 
no disrespect to, to the Rams or Sam Bradford. What was that transition like going from a team that was 17-46-1 and one over your four years there to one of the most dominant teams in the NFL with arguably the greatest quarterback to ever play the game? Uh, well, it was a an eye-opening experience at first. I didn't really understand how to be a professional until I got around the likes of, you know, Tom Brady and, and, and these older guys, Julian Edelman, these guys that uh, take care of their bodies in such ways. I kind of took my craft to another level. I felt like I became a better football player. I understood situational awareness, uh, how to play the game um, in regards to the clock and, and the score and, and instead of just running like a crazy man out on the field. So I, I became smarter. Uh, I, I took care of my body a lot better. And I feel like that transition propelled my career uh, to, you know, the net from, you know, to this day. So um, it, it, it's, I think, you know, being surrounded with guys that uh, take the game very seriously and understand that it's a lifestyle uh, that, uh you know, I, I was kind of still still kind of like a rookie, honestly, when I came in. I know it was going into my fifth, sixth year, but I didn't really have the structure around my life that I needed to, to, to be a professional athlete. And I learned that. that was the first thing I learned there. So shortly after you signed, but before the season began, the Boston Marathon bombing rocked the city. You pledged to donate money to a recovery fund. And it was $100 for every pass you caught. And this was unusual. $200 for every pass you dropped. How do you yeah. to include your failures in the pledge? Yeah. Um, I wanted to just kind of, um, well, let me preface this by saying my, my aunt and my uncle were at the finish line that day. My, my uncle is a 911 dispatcher in Boston and my aunt works with the race itself. So I was driving around Boston and I saw um, ambulances, uh, you know, driving past me at a hundred miles an hour. And I was, I turned on the radio and I'm hearing the news. I get to my aunt's house and I turn the TV on and it's the, the craziest, one of the craziest scenes I've ever seen in my life. You know, I had fam, I'm texting my uncle who's at the Red Sox game who play, they play, they always play the day game right before the Boston marathon. And then I, I call him up. I'm getting no answers. I'm, I'm frantic. And, um, you know, I'm, it's just, it's just a, a life-changing event. Uh, thank God for the Boston police department who shut down the city for three days and found the guys in a boat. Uh, that city absolutely blew, you know, it, it was, it was an amazing scene when they catch these guys, the city kind of, you know, they all unlock their doors, go out to the bars and everybody's hugging each other. It's the city's safe again. So hats off to them. However, I felt it necessary to represent the city, uh, like they do for, for us, uh, and, and have a little incentivized, uh, uh, fun throughout the year, uh, end up, I, I think we rounded up. I don't know how, I don't, I, I can't remember the number, uh, we got to at the end of the at the end of the year, but uh, I had a foundation out there called Danny Amendola Catches for Kids, and we basically targeted inner city youth, and uh, we got to um, have a nice banquet at the end of the year and kind of present that check uh, to to 
the, the victims of the Boston Marathon. But uh, yeah, hundred dollars a catch, two hundred dollars a drop. Um, you know, I didn't plan on dropping a lot, but instead of doing push-ups like I normally do, I figure why not reach down to my pocket a little bit more and, and kind of provide them that way. So it was fun, man. It was it was a, it was a great way to see the city pull together. And it's one of the strongest cities I've ever been a part of. And I have an immense uh, sense of pride uh, representing that city. Awesome. Also, you know, makes the fantasy players not so angry when you drop those passes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So talk about your first trip to the Super Bowl in the context of all that hard work you put in just to make it as a regular on a team. Now you have the opportunity to play in the biggest game on the biggest stage where you have five catches, 48 yards, a touchdown in that 28-24 victory against the Seahawks to earn your first Super Bowl ring. That was um, that was a, a an eye opening experience as well. I remember uh, I was the kickoff returner on the opening kickoff to that game, and just to see the lights go off and have it my responsibility to catch the ball and run with it was uh, was a very nerve wracking thing to begin with. And then after afterwards, thank God, uh, once you get hit, it kind of knocks the nerves out of you. So uh, it was it was you know football as usual, but. Um, we had a really good team that year, man. We have, we had great, great skill position players, obviously a great quarterback and our defense was lights out. Uh, we were strong, you know, in the kicking game and we had a really good all around team. Uh, so, you know, that particular year we were extremely hungry and, uh, you know, coming off a loss and Denver in the AFC championship game the year before that, we felt like we had something to prove. So two years later, you're back in the big game. And this time you had eight catches, 78 yards, and one of the most amazing comebacks in the history of the Super Bowl. You played a huge role in that game, um, you know, that 34-28 overtime comeback over the Falcons. You scored the Patriots' first touchdown of the fourth quarter to narrow what had been a 25-point Falcons uh, lead down to 28-18. Then in the drive to tie the game, Brady hits you for a 20-yard gain down to the Falcons' 21-yard line. Clock's running down below the two-minute warning. Pats get the touchdown, but they still trail by two. So walk us through the huddle and what it's like knowing that the play that's called for you for the two-point conversion, the game is basically in your hands at that point on the biggest stage. What's that feeling like, knowing that your number's called for the biggest play of the year? Well, we went into that game with two two two-point conversion plays. Uh, which is kind of not normal, but uh, just a testament to how good of a coach Coach Belichick was, had us prepared, obviously. So um, we went into the game with two two-point plays, and we had run the first one prior to where I knew if we were to score again and just judging by the the way the score was looking, we're going to have to get that eight-point mark where we're going to have to go for two. And I knew I knew, I knew, knew the first time after we ran the first two, the first two-point conversion play that uh, that second one, if we need it was coming to me. So, uh, we put the, you know, we, we score the touchdown and then obviously I know it's coming to me. Uh, it's fairly easy pitch and catch. Um, however, if you ever watch that play again, Dwight Freeney, I think it was, uh, the defensive end on our side jumped off sides. Uh, so I knew, uh, and he actually ran himself through the passing lane and, and Tom kind of let him go. And then he threw it behind him. And, uh, one, I knew it was coming to me. It was a kind of an easy pitch and catch. Um, but if we were, if we were going to fail on that play, I knew we were going to get another shot at it anyway, because we had a penalty, but 
um, end up working out, barely crossed the line. Uh, at that point in the game, I'm so dog tired that it, it doesn't really call for a celebration. Plus we have work to do anyway. So, uh, I, I just, I just remember being exhausted, tired and, and ready to go to overtime. So moving away from the field for a couple of seconds, 2017, you sign a contract with Ford models, first NFL athlete to sign with the agency and, and the temptation is to say WTF, you know, what's, what's going on there. So what was going <laughs> through your mind and what happened? Yeah. So basically I found another way to, uh, make some money off the field. Um, you know, I, I do like fashion. I do like design. I think, uh, it's a, it's a huge industry, uh, in terms of, uh, marketing and, uh, creating cash flow. So it was, um, another opportunity for me to kind of, you know, uh, take care of my family, so to speak. And then, and then uh, I know I I know you mentioned uh, my contract with the uh, New England Patriots in 2013. However, you didn't mention the three pay cuts that I took to stay on the team. So uh, that was another thing that kind of went through my mind, and it was just another way to kind of generate generate some income and and have some fun doing it. It was relatively light work. It wasn't like uh, running around on third down. Uh, getting your head taken off. So, um, <laughs> but you didn't have to do the, uh, Jim Palmer underwear ads either. So yeah, not <laughs> bad at all. Exactly. So at the moment, you're a free agent coming off a season where you recovered from an injury, you played eight games. So you showed everyone you're healthy. You averaged over 10 yards of reception. You had three TDs. I'm looking at the depth chart of the Buccaneers. And for me, it seems like a good fit. <laughs> How have your offseason talks gone? And um, for those Danny Amendola fans out there, will we see Danny Amendola in an NFL uniform this coming season? Um, talks are going well, man. There's definitely some interest out there. Um, you know, the question lies on, uh, you know, whether, you know, I want to get out there and do it and, and, and put the time and the effort in and take care of my body the way you need to, to, be 37, the old, one of the oldest receiver. I think I'm actually tied with Matt, Matthew uh, Slater for the oldest receiver in the league. So, um, you know, the decision has been, uh, you know, I'm going to continue to work out, stay in shape. You know, I train with Bacon Rayfield and, uh, Colt McCoy down here in Austin. So we're, I'm getting great work three times a week. Uh, you know, just, uh, fielding calls, but not really committing to anything right now. Um, I love playing the game. I love, um, uh, running around on Sunday and I know what it takes to do it at a high level for, for seven months. Um, so, you know, it's, it's something to think about here in the next couple of weeks and, and, um, the decision hasn't been made yet. However, uh, I'm open and then that, that's not going to change. So, um, we'll see how, we'll see how anybody, uh, how, how, you know, this first part of camp kind of starts out. Um, you know, Tom is obviously a great friend of mine. Uh, and if, you know, it, it works out, it works out, but if not, then, uh, we shall see. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I love playing the game, put it that way. And listen, if you go to Tampa Bay, you can go out for dinner with the quarterback and you can call him <laughs> and no one would even blink an eye. So it's yeah. not that old when you think of Tom. So. I know. I know. He's and he he he, t he looks like he's a fine wine, man. He's getting younger. As, as it's unbelievable. Ages, so. 
It is. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Danny, no, listen, it is a testament to what a good guy you are that a Jet fan can like like you because you certainly lit us up every freaking time you played against us and Giants as well. Thanks so much for your time tonight. Uh, we really appreciate it. We really hope to see you out on the field next season. Thank you, guys. Appreciate uh, appreciate you having me. Huge fan of New York. Huge fan of uh, all the teams that come through the city. Uh, much love and respect. Thank you guys so much. Awesome. Danny Amendola, two-time Super Bowl champion.